It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast presented by Smoky Mountain Organics with Rob Lewis and Austin Price and Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us. Be sure and check out our friends at Smoky Mountain Organics online at SmokyMountainOrganics.com, or you can check them out in one of their four locations in East Tennessee, including that Knoxville location on Kingston Pike, down across from Trader Joe's and the bookstore down there, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store. That is Smoky Mountain Organics. Plenty to get to in this podcast, as we'll start, uh, obviously, with hoops, the Tennessee basketball team uh, on a roll, blowing out South Carolina at South Carolina on Saturday, 81-57. to uh, Rob, the the... The basketball went in the hoop, and all of a sudden, this team looks a lot looks like a lot better basketball team when the ball's going in from the perimeter. A big time game from obviously Ziegler and and uh, Josiah James. Just an easy afternoon for Tennessee, particularly in that second half. They took care of business. Yeah, and I just I mean I leave last week. I don't know what if it's a fluke if they found something out. You know what's the deal? Because it's a team that was averaging you know under seventy points a game, about sixty eight in SEC play. And they score 171 in two games against pretty two. I mean, they're, Texas A&M and South Carolina aren't great, but they're pretty two solid defensive teams. And Tennessee just exploded on them. Um, and you mentioned Ziegler with 18 points. He got all those in the second half. He was named SEC Freshman of the Week. That was obviously his m- most prolific game. Josiah sets a career high with 20 points at South Carolina, but he had 14 against A&M, so he averages 17 on the week. I don't think that's a coincidence. It's a, those are two Tennessee's two highest. SEC scoring games when Josiah plays his two best offensive games. And um, I thought he, you know, he didn't put up the point total, so he got overshadowed a little bit. I thought that might have been Kennedy's best game on Saturday. He had 11 points, 10 assists, and only one turnover in 33 minutes. Yeah. Rob, you, 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 I was there, Rob, you mentioned on when we taped TV Sunday, um, you know, still, you felt like it's still a too small sample size. Don't you think if they can go for 70, I don't even think they have to get to 80, if they can go for 70 plus at the hump and then back home against Vanderbilt this week in back-to-back games to couple that with the, the last, you know, two games in 10 minutes, they may be having, I mean, at that point, don't you have to kind of chalk it up as they did find something? Yeah. I, I mean, I agree, but I, I need to see a little bit more, but I mean, I, I'm suspecting that they have found something. I don't think they're going to score 80 plus a game, but the way they play defense, if they can score 74, 75 points a game, I mean, it really changes the outlook for this team going into March. You know, Rob, to me, it's interesting, and, and I know that Rick Barnes has talked about this, and, uh, but the creation of offense, because they seem to be dribbling with more of a purpose than just dribbling around the three-point line. I mean, th- they're, they're attacking you know, towards the basket to create gaps and to create some opportunities. I know they've shot the ball better, but I think their looks have been better as well i mean is is that accurate or is that not accurate in, no in i think it's i getting... think it's totally accurate and i mean i think josiah talked about that a great deal i mean i think they're moving not just dribbling but off the ball i think guys are cutting harder i think they're moving quicker i think when they, when they're just like swinging the ball around I, I think that's that's happening faster you know it's going from the left wing to the top of the key to the right wing pretty quickly, which makes the defense move. And it may not seem like much if, you know, a fraction of a second here, a fraction of a second there. And and you're, you know, against the 6'6 guy that's closing out on you, you know, that can make a big difference in, in how clean your look is, how, you know, how much time you feel like you have to set your feet. 
or, or get into your release. So I, I think they're doing a lot of little things better on offense, and, and, and it's showing up in a big way. To that point, I asked, and I asked you this first because we took the locker room before we did the nation about Josiah James. He says like it feels like he has more arch on his shot, better rotation on his shot. Then I asked Rick Barnes. I said, Coach, tell me if I'm crazy. And, and he said that he thinks more than anything, it is, you know, the ability, as Brent pointed out, for them to drive and to just add the, the which helps the spacing just a little bit more. And then for Josiah in particular, it is literally not shooting off balance. He goes, he was, he goes, we went back and looked at all of the shots early in the year. He goes, cause he made five threes in that scrimmage against Davidson. Then he got hurt and then he, you know, just got into a slump early on and then went back and reviewed each shot. And he was always either leaning to the right, leaning to the left, leaning forward, wasn't set. Like, and all of a sudden, because of the extra spacing, he has that extra second to set himself, which is creating better rotation, better arch on the shot, and, and a much more productive player from beyond the arc. Which, again, no one expects him to shoot 50% from three, but at the same time, when he can knock down a few, it, it just helps everybody else, including Vescovy, who they just continue to key in on every time they play somebody else. You know, for me, Rob, and, and – Josiah's shot from from the three point line certainly looks better, and, and I think getting the ball in a better position helps that as well. I was more impressed with the fact that he put the ball on the floor at least twice on Saturday, and went to the elbow for a jump shot. Th that's an area of his game we've talked about for several years. Just didn't know if it would ever be there. I don't think the light switch has suddenly come on, and that's going to be a mainstay in his game. But if he will if he will play some offensive basketball that way. Boy, he's a different guy to defend than what he's been the first part of this year. I mean, I don't know what's got that going, but I thought those two shots that he made at the elbow off the dribble were as key as anything for Tennessee offensively. Yeah, and, and, I, and I love Josiah. Personality-wise, he may be my favorite kid on the team, but I have always been mystified about his inability to, to not put it on the floor and get it on. I mean, with, with his frame, I mean, he's 6'6", he's six, six, Two two fifteen two twenty. I mean, he is a strong, athletic kid. Can you know he's really bouncy. Um, you know, can take contact and, and still finish. And that's just that has never been part of his game. And even what you're talking about, he's getting into the, you know, he's getting into the paint, but he's still not going to the rim. I think that that's the next step. I'd like to see. But even if he if he's shooting forty percent from three, like he is in the last eight games, there, there's going to be opportunities for him to take advantage and you know dribble past some closeouts and, and do that. And not only you know, does he get a wide open. 12 14 footer it opens up offensive rebound possibilities for you know for the for his teammates when guys have to come up and and try to contest that shot well and if he's going to play the stretch for some and they're going to play in that small lineup and he's playing out there there's a matchup win for him because if that if if that defender has to come out and close out hard you really think he's got a chance to take the guy off the dribble i mean you, you know because those are the athletic quickness there i, I just you know, Robert Hubbs did some of that with, with with Barnes where he he would take that thing to the free throw line and have that pull-up jumper. I just think Josiah James's game, um, I, I just think that that it's tailor-made for, for basketball like that. We'll, we'll see if, if, if that will grow with him, but that is a potentially huge development for this offense if you have to worry about him doing something like that, whether it's on the baseline to 12 feet or whether it's driving to the free throw line. If you have to worry about a mid-range jumper from him, it, it changes a lot of things. Uh, Coach Barnes said on the Nation Sunday night, Rob, that that he thinks um, uh, Olivier is going to be all right and and going to be fine. 
how big of a deal is that for Tennessee if he can't go Wednesday night against Mississippi State? How important is it for them to get him back in the lineup ASAP? I, mean, I, th- I think it's really important, Hover. Um, I've written the three, two, one today that I think that you know I think he's the biggest X factor. I think this deep in the season, you're going to get scoring for the perimeter. It might be all. It might not be all four guys: Sonny, Josiah, Zakai, and Kennedy. But two or three of those guys are going to show up and, and score for you. And, and when all four of them show up, you're going to see what you saw on Saturday. They're going to blow people out. But you got to get something in the paint. I mean, they, Olivier is the leading scorer in SEC play down there at 8.5 points a game. I mean, more often than not, you're not getting. You're not even getting a double digit post score. And um, you know, you can survive like that some nights, but, but you've got to be able to at least get a little offense in there. And I thought I thought against Texas A&M, he looked as good as he had all year. He had 15 points, seven rebounds. And more than that, it was the way he looked. He made quick decisions when he got the basketball. He either you know knew he was going up or he got it back out. He kept the ball moving. And um, we're taping this on Monday afternoon. I'm getting ready to go over and watch practice in just a little bit. So we'll have a more, more of a definitive answer. But the, the short answer to your question is I, I think he's really big over him. And I think if he goes out, you put a ton of pressure on Brandon Huntley Hatfield to produce. And, I mean, I, the kid's got all the talent and potential in the world. But he hadn't looked like a guy that's ready for the conference grind. No, he, he's not. I mean, you know, he's gotten some opportunities. He's not taking advantage of much of them. He might get more opportunities than he's ever had uh, against this week, particularly against Mississippi State. And, and we'll see. I mean, there's – Vanderbilt's post play has gotten better since Tennessee played them a month ago and, and Mississippi state's going to be tough and physical on, on the block. I mean, that's just the way they're going to play. They're going to try to play, um, you know, in, in the paint and, and really force some, some issues for Tennessee there in, in a tough matchup, I think on, on a late game. I mean, that, that one sets up a lot for Mississippi state. It looks like, but if Tennessee can limit turnovers, and I think the other stat from the, the South Carolina game that jumps out to me, Rob, is Tennessee had 17 points off of turnovers. Uh, they they yep. turned they, South Carolina mistakes into easy buckets for themselves. If, they, if, they, go ahead, AP. I was going to say, if Tennessee can win this game, that would be three straight on the road in league play. And would also I mean, I mean, they're not losing to Vanderbilt at home. I, I, I know negative hubs wants to go ahead and start talking about the improved post play for, for Vanderbilt, but they're, they're not losing to the Vanderbilt at home on Saturday. So if they can win this Mississippi state game hubs, they're going to be on a seven game conference winning streak when Kentucky rolls into town for that late night tilt a week from now. Yeah. I mean, I think the Mississippi state's a tough matchup, but like, like you said, they're, they're good inside. They, they lead the sec in field goal percentage. And that's because they get a lot of high quality looks in the paint because they're, they're they're last or they're next to last at three-point shooting, but they, they get that ball close to the rim and, and they're good at scoring it. Um, really good rebounding team. They're second in the league in rebounding. That's something that Tennessee's challenging every night out. Um, so, I mean, I, I think the I think the matchup at Start Bowl is, is a tough one. I'll, I'll be surprised if Mississippi State's not favored. Yeah, I, again, I, I think for, you know, Tennessee defensively has, has been better. I didn't think they were great against Texas A&M. They, they were better against South Carolina, who's not a great team. Uh, but, again, 17 points off turnovers. Finding some easy buckets for this team uh, has been a challenge, and, and they obviously found yeah. those uh, on, on Saturday. They were, they were plus 16 in two games last week in turnover margin. Tennessee, and that, you know, Tennessee didn't force a ton. They forced 29 in two games, which is, you know, good but not fantastic. But the more impressive thing was they only had 13 turnovers themselves in two games. That's – you know, a lot of nights 
you, you take you take that in one game. Yep, and we'll see if Kennedy Chandler and and Ziegler can continue to do that. We we've talked about Ziegler, but Rob, as you watch him, what why why has this been why has this been the perfect marriage? It seems in, in year one. What what's what, why is it just because that's his personality? That's who he is. Makes it the right fit. I mean, why is why has the five foot nine freshman from New York been been, been kind of the the spark plug for this team? When I, I think one of the reasons is his, him and his head coach have a very similar mentality. They are both fiery competitors. He's not he's not bothered by Rick. Um, Rick doesn't Rick you know Rick can coach him as hard as he wants to, and it's you know it just rolls off his back. Um, I, th- I think that's a big part of it. And I think the main thing is just his personality, man. I mean, I think he's always been like this. I think he's always played with a chip on his shoulder because of his size. And, um, you know, it's nothing new to him to have to come in and, and prove to people that, that he can play. And I, I mean, I think he, I think he relishes it. I mean, the kid is fearless. I mean, he's, I mean, he already is a fan favorite. I mean, can you imagine what it's going to be like four years from now? Yeah, I mean it's. I mean he's fun to watch play, and and like you said, he he is. I mean he's fearless in in every way, and and he he make he makes them go. And um, he's. I mean Rick Barnes told me the preseason. He said people are going to love him, but I didn't think anybody. I didn't think it would happen this fast. It would have this kind of impact. You know, I thought he would have kind of more freshman moments. He may have one. You know, Wednesday night, but uh, he hasn't had one the last few weeks. And. Um, I, I think Chandler, you know, can he build off that? I think Chandler's been good the last two games. Um, after not playing down the stretch of that Texas game, you know, you, you wonder if you wonder if that got his attention more than anything else because he's taking care of the basketball and has been better uh, in these last two games for sure. But we'll see how this team yeah, does I think that was, this week. I think that was a wake-up call, Hover, because I bet that I bet it's been a long time since Kennedy Chandler set the last five minutes of a close game in his basketball career. You think he ever has? I mean, I, don't, I mean, I'm not maybe, trying to be. I'm not may, trying to be. No, I'm with you. He maybe maybe hasn't. That's maybe when he was in sixth grade and playing on the junior high team or something. But no, I mean, I bet, I bet that was an eye opener. Well, it should have been, and, and maybe it's, it's turned it into a, a positive because again, he, he's played well. Um, you know, the, the, these last two games and seems to have have, have gotten a little bit more under control. It, it looks like he's dribbling with a little bit more of a purpose and, and not over dribbling as much as he was uh, three weeks ago. But again, you said it best. It, it's a couple of games. It's not the, it's not a, um, it's not a full sample size, but it certainly seems like uh, th- this team is moving in the right direction. If they can stay healthy, they get their offense moving in the right direction and their defense has been there for the most part all year long. Um, but rebounding will be a challenge with some of the teams left on the schedule uh, for, for sure. Um, when you look at the rest of the league, Rob, right quick, before we jump into, into some football stuff, um, what, what do you make out of after, after Kentucky, after Auburn and Kentucky, what, what do you make of this league? Is, is, I, mean, I think it's we might get proved wrong Wednesday night. I mean, I, no matter what happens Wednesday night in Starkville, I think it's Kentucky-Auburn pretty clearly. Then I think Arkansas and, and Tennessee have sort of separated themselves from a really jumbled pack. And I'm, I think Mississippi State's a good team, but I, I don't, you know, even if they win a, a tough one over Tennessee on Wednesday night, that's I still think they're they're fifth. But I mean, the shocker is LSU and Alabama. Yeah. I mean, six weeks ago, they would have been they would have been in a conversation for the best team in the league, certainly without question, one of the best four teams in the league. And now, I mean, they're four and six, both of them. 
in the middle of the pack. I mean, they've got Alabama's got good enough wins, you know, over Gonzaga, over Baylor. That you know, they're 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 going to make the tournament unless the wheels just absolutely fall off. LSU, man, I don't know. They've lost six of seven. Um, only win in that time was over Texas A and M, and and that and they they were behind by six with like two minutes left in that game. We'd be talking about a seven game losing streak. I mean, I, it, it feels like he's lost that team. I won't be surprised at all if, if they don't make the tournament. And you, um, you, you kind of become who you are at this point, right, Rob? I mean, look at the Lady Vols. They should have lost. They've lost three out of four. They should have lost four in a row. But that's same, basically the same thing you're talking about there is like, you know, you, you just kind of get in one of those funks and you can't you can't reverse – you can't get it reversed. Yeah, I think Alabama's a little different because, I mean, to, their, to be fair, they played Auburn and Kentucky last week. You know, yeah, lost I mean, that's those games. <laughs> That's that's a different animal than losing to you know Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and, yeah, and Arkansas. But but they Alabama's also lost to Missouri and Georgia on the year. So I mean, I mean they 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 have some problems. But I I have I think they have a much better shot at turning it around. And then I think you got some teams like you know, Mississippi State, Florida, and Lenardi. I think had both of those the, their last four out. I mean they could play their way in. But um, you know, right now it looks like a six bid team. Six bid league to me with the one and the two seed in Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Arkansas, like, you know, anywhere from four to six, depending on how they close. And then somebody, you know, a couple other teams will sneak in. Yeah. I mean, and at one point you thought this might be a seven or eight bid, but I just don't see, I just don't see that with, with it, where some of these teams it, are going, you know? No, LSU would have to turn it around and Florida and Mississippi State, Mississippi State would both have to make it for, for, for them to get eight. Yeah, I just don't – I don't see that being the case out there at this point in time. But um, it's the SEC. It'll be crazy down this down the last month of, of this season for sure, the regular season. And for Tennessee, that is a Wednesday night, late night, Rick's favorite time, the 9 o'clock tips on a, on a midweek uh, that everybody just dearly loves. Tennessee in Startville, Mississippi uh, on Wednesday night. And then uh, Saturday evening, 6 o'clock, is the home, the home tip against Vanderbilt. Uh, coming up on Saturday. So we'll keep a, a track of all of that. And Tennessee going to have some, maybe some recruiting visitors, Rob, coming up in the next couple of weeks as well. I know we've mentioned some of that war room. We'll have more on those guys coming up as well. But Tennessee um, getting a little activity on the recruiting front, maybe some unofficial visitors with some home games on a Saturday as well. Some official. Yeah, they'll have, they'll have a, an official visitor each of the next two weekends. The, the Texas guards, and forgive me right now, it's not in front of me. One, they're, they're both coming in over the next couple of weekends, one, one apiece. And then they'll have some um, some unofficial guys in as well. I know Jared Hall from Lebanon is coming back in. That'll be a couple trips for him just in the last month, um, trending in, in the right direction there. So, and, and there'll be some other names. Check the war room. We'll have, we'll have some updates. Yep, we'll have plenty of updates on that. But there is a little bit of basketball recruiting getting cranked up. Speaking of recruiting, it's not getting cranked up on the football side of things. Austin Price, because it's the dead period, which is normal for everybody right now. Still phone calls to be made. Everything kind of pointing towards getting to that first Saturday in March for that junior day focal point by this coaching staff who's back in the office this week after a couple of days off uh, at the end of last week. Um, it, it's about securing these guys for junior days and then working on this current team heading into their, their true winter workout programs and, and getting ready for spring practice. Um, recruiting wise, you still feel like that first weekend's got a chance to be a solid weekend for Tennessee, right? Yeah, I mean, I expect Tennessee to have a lot of guys in that weekend. 
Um, some, some of those in-state guys that they didn't have in back in January, like Caleb Herring, Justin Brown, out-of-state guys, Christian Conyers. I think Rico Walker may be in that weekend. Um, Tennessee's going to certainly try to get all the guys that were in here that last junior day. Why not? To get, if, you can, if, if you can get especially some of those big-timers to come back, why not? I mean, I'm sure they won't because they want to go to other schools. But why not at least ask? You just never know. So, yeah, I mean, the month of February is more kind of game planning, working towards spring practice and recruiting calls. You know, they, they used to have those a couple of dates at the end of the month where teams would have junior days, but you just don't see that anymore. Um, it is uh, dead, dead. And, uh, you know, so coaches have been out of the office late last week through the weekend. They're back in the office now and, you know, kind of getting to work on – you know, what their plans are for spring practice, what they want to see out of the, the current team, and and then, as you said, making recruiting calls. And keeping an eye on the transfer portal as well because that's going to be big for Tennessee uh, when, when you look at this. I mean, if Tennessee's, if Tennessee's taking five – if they can get five transfers at the end of spring, um, I mean, that's got to be, what, three defense, two offense, Austin? I mean, if that's – At least. I, I can see four and one. Um, I can see Tennessee's only one being the offensive line. Like, you know, a lot of it depends on, too, like where, where do they feel like they are at running back and who's available. They're not just taking – they're not taking Madre London, you know, so to speak, like a guy that can't help them. Like that, they're going to take somebody that can help them or they won't take anybody. And so, like, if the, if the right guy's not out there, I don't think they're just going to take a running back to take a running back. Um, right. At least that's my opinion. I mean, again, a lot of it can change, and you know what you and I think they need versus what they think they need can be two different things. Um, you know, I, I'm interested to see too, like Brent, like just kind of like you know who else potentially departs, which would free up more space, and then too, like you know what happens with these Auburn kids if they make a move. Like, does the league, you know, the, does the league sign off on a waiver at this point for kids? Because you know it's past February first. So, like, if some of these kids may go, this is crap. You know, we, we didn't we, – we signed on back in January. We've been here a month. You fired our coach. Like, this isn't fair that we can't go somewhere we want to go. Our other option was to go to LSU or our other option was to go to Tennessee or wherever. So, like, I, I just – does the league sign off on some type of waiver there if Auburn pulls the trigger like many most – or like many believe they will? Here's the other one. Let's say Auburn hires Lane. Don't think there's a trickle down effect from there. They brought all those transfers into Oxford. Like you know, I, I, it's going to be interesting, and I, I can promise you, Ole Miss. If that happens, Ole Miss will pivot to Jeff Levy, and Ole, and Oklahoma will be looking for an offensive coordinator. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, I think the two thing that's things that are interesting. I got a couple other questions, but the two things that are interesting, what you're saying is, it's one thing to let a guy have a national letter of intent if he's not enrolled in school. But are you going to let those midtermers be one-time transfers, or let them out since they've gone to class? And many yeah. of those guys were were midterm enrollees, particularly those yep. DBs that Tennessee was was highly interested in. Um, so would you let that happen? One other quick note on transfers: keep this in mind. We've talked a lot about that February first date, and that's an important date. However, if you are a grad transfer, yep, that February date's null and void. You can be a grad transfer in May and go right into an SEC school and be eligible immediately. So that February one date going SEC to SEC. More than for the young kids. Yeah, only accounts for non-grad transfers, younger kids who are are making that move. So I'll ask this question for both of you. 
you're the general manager of Tennessee football. Congratulations. It comes with no, it comes with no extra money for you, but you're the GM for the day. Where is your packing order of priorities on, on the transfer docket by position? Who wants to go first? What, what, what are you looking at as your pecking order for what you have to have? Say you got, say you got five spots. Where are you going first? What's the most important thing? When you look at this roster, I don't have any idea where Tennessee's at. I'm talking about your all's opinion. What do you think you got to have first? Secondary. I think you got to go secondary. Um, it depends on who you can get. Might even take two in the secondary. Um, but I think you go secondary. I think you go um, – linebacker, although I think you feel a little bit better about where they are there than maybe, you know, a month ago when, you know, Juju was out the door and Jeremy Banks was flirting with going out the door and now both seem to be back. Um, I go offensive tackle, um, then I would go D-line, and then fifth I'd go running back. And, again, it's never as simple as black and white. It's never as simple as black and white. Sometimes there is a gray there. So, like, you know, that for me that's – that you know, that, that'll depend on kind of who's available right. and who's not. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and again, you, you take best available because you got needs at a lot of spots, but I just curious as to your position pecking order, Rob, where are you at? Yeah, I'm pretty much with AP in secondary. I mean, I, I don't know that you're going to be able to find one of these guys, but if you could find an edge guy, a quick, a quick, quick yeah. guy, I, I mean, I think that would be a no brainer. I would always take another big body, big interior defensive tackle body. Always, I mean, just about any circumstances, I help you know some kind of offensive tackle depth. Um, a, a swing guy, ideally, I mean, those guys are rare. At least guys that can do it at a high level are rare. But uh, if you could get you know kind of a utility player in the offensive line, that would be big. And I would still, if I could get the right guy, I would take another wide out. I think what's, I think the wide receiver position for for me is going to be interesting because I'm with you. I think they have to have another outside guy. But do they feel like post-spring practice, could a guy like um, Caleb Webb, you know, show them enough that they think, hey, we can get him ready because he went through spring ball, whereas a, a transfer has not gone through spring ball and, you know, that type of way. Or is there a guy out there who's established enough as a, as a playmaker that you feel? I think you have to answer that question. I think that defensive end question is a bigger question, Mark. Um, then maybe I, I thought I just don't know where uh, where they are at, at, in terms of depth at the defensive end position, and then I think you got to have corners. So uh, running back to me is at the bottom of the list. I'm with Austin and you guys. I, I think that would be at the bottom of my list if I were a general manager um, and where it was at. So I, I would I would go secondary, defensive end, offensive tackle, wide receiver. That's where I would go in terms of of, of the priorities if I were if I were the general manager looking at this roster, but it is important to note that what not just about who's available, Austin, but it's also about does your needs change based on what you saw in spring practice? Yeah. I mean, and a lot of that can happen. I mean, you may feel good coming out of spring or feel like, okay, we can survive. Um, I, I think the one spot they will definitely go is secondary. I, I mean, and I think the other spot they'll definitely go is, is offensive tackle. Unless, unless Mincy or somebody rises to the occasion. Yeah, I mean, even with Mincy, though, when you look at the numbers, Austin, there's just not enough bodies there. I mean, they're just short at that position. I mean, I, I think that I think that's a, a problem. You, you were short at that position a year ago, and basically you just replaced Cade with Gerald Mincy, who is not as experienced, not as good. And Yeah, you know, 
and, and, and you were, and you lacked, you lacked depth big time there a year ago. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I don't, you know, it's unfair to ask, I think Addison Nichols to be ready to, to be a real factor at right tackle, but we'll see what he looks like in spring practice. I mean, he's going to be given every opportunity, but that's a hard ask for, for a, yep. a high school freshman to be, to be ready to go there. So and he be in the two deep. Or, yeah. Yeah. So we, we'll see, you know, what he looks like and, and, and what, you know, what some guys look like in spring, particularly these newcomers, will dictate a lot about what that transfer portal looks like. But that's going to be important for Tennessee. They're on the hunt. They're evaluating everybody that's continuing to go in the portal and then obviously getting ready for that junior day and recruiting and spending this month getting uh, the newcomers ready and, and getting this team further developed and, and ready for spring practice. Um, quick shout out, Austin. I thought Cade Mays, as you mentioned, had a good week at, at the Senior Bowl. I think he's helped himself. You know, it is a deep draft, but I think he did what he needed to do down there. I think Bayless Jones had a good week down there. I think the questions with Alante remain a little bit about how well does he run? Is he a corner or is he a safety in the NFL? He didn't hurt himself necessarily, uh, but but I think that question still remains. So that 40 times is going to be big for Alante. But, but all three of those guys seem to perform well. But I, I think Cade helped himself as much as anybody, as you predicted he would, because – the opportunities were going to be there for him and his versatility was going to shine. Well, for a guy that really was left out of the senior bowl when they initially made the rosters and was a, an addition due to uh, someone else's subtraction, you know, I, I, it was an opening and he took advantage. And and kudos to him, man. I mean, I know he was he was very excited to get in. And at that point, it was all pedals down. He's out training in Arizona when he's not, uh, you know, going to the Waste Management Open this coming week and, you know, crushing beers on the 16th. Um, but, uh, you know, he's out there training in Arizona. He'll be back for, for um, you know, for, you know. Uh, pro Day. Pro Day coming up in March, and then, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. We'll see what happens with um, the rest of those guys as they continue to develop. Senior Bowls become an interesting event. A lot of those guys bailed out. A lot of guys bailed out and did not play in the game. Just went through the practice during the week, and their agent said, hey, there's no point in you playing in the game. You've shown what you've needed to show yourselves to um, scouts out there, and um, don't take a chance on getting hurt in, in a game that really doesn't matter. So um, that's a growing trend with that game that nobody seems to, to really care about, but it certainly affects what that game looks like on Saturdays, but it's about what you do during the week, not about what you do on that particular game day itself. Everything's a growing trend, whether it's eliminating high school all-star games or, 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 you know, not playing in, in, in the senior bowl. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> I mean, it is, it is widely, it's wildly becoming more and more of a thing at all levels of all of these kind of extracurricular type stuff. Yep. Cause the question is how much can you help yourself in that one particular afternoon versus the, the chance of getting hurt. And, and that's what's in a lot of people's head. And that's what's mentioned to a lot of guys through the process. So um, again, those guys will continue to work out and get ready for their pro days and have private workouts as well. And in Tennessee on the current team, getting ready for spring practice, we'll have full coverage of Tennessee basketball, continued coverage of recruiting, coverage of this Tennessee football team as well. Much more. That's all at VolQuest.com. That's going to do it for this Tuesday edition of the VolQuest.com podcast presented by our good friends at Smoky Mountain Organics. For Rob Lewis and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.
You've been listening to the Ball Quest podcast every week here on Ball Quest.